Is there a certain number of kids that Christians are supposed to have? How do you handle a coworker who is gay and who is going through the surrogacy process with their partner? How are you supposed to address that and try to maintain a friendship, but also make sure that you are living in a way that aligns with your values? Also, should abortion doctors get the death penalty? What's my go-to coffee order? What do I think about Nikki Haley? We're going to be talking about all of this and more on this episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Hope everyone is having a wonderful day and a wonderful week. All right, we've got another Q&A episode for you. As always, you guys have sent me very interesting questions, wide variety, lighthearted, a little bit more complex. I'll do the best I can to answer the more complex ones in in a thorough way while still trying to keep my answers concise. All right. Let's see. One question that I got is number of kids a Christian has freedom of conscience, uh, freedom of conscience, or are we to have many? So basically, is there a biblical mandate to have a certain number of children or not? We don't see a particular number in Bible in the Bible that we are supposed to have. We are told in the beginning to be fruitful and multiply. Obviously, we know that that simply is not possible for everyone. Either God just has not planned for you to get married. Maybe it's biologically impossible for you to have a child. You struggle with infertility. There are a variety of reasons for that. Maybe you've tried to adopt. You've tried to foster. It hasn't worked out. There could be a number of reasons, no fault of your own, why you may not have children. But if you can have children and if you are married, I do believe that Christians are called to have kids. So I know that's not what this person is asking, but I do just want to start off with that. We've talked about that a lot, but if you've missed it, I don't really believe that there is a biblical excuse not to have children other than you cannot have children for some reason. Now, um, there could be some exceptions to that, I believe, if you have a concentrated mission effort that God has specifically called you to. And so for a period of time, um, it is being responsible or good stewards to not multiply, to not have children. I've heard John Piper talk about this. That's basically the exception that he explains. Other than that, just wanting to be quote unquote child free, wanting to pursue a career instead of having children, wanting to travel instead of having children, being scared of what the future holds, being worried about the way that the world is going. Those are not biblical reasons not to have children. Now, there are biblical reasons not to get married at all. We're actually, we actually read in the New Testament that being married distracts you. It distracts you from heavenly pursuits. It distracts you from focusing on eternity. It distracts you from focusing on Christ because your interests, your priorities are split. But we are also told if you have not been given that gift of celibacy, that gift of singleness, then it is better to be married than to burn with passion. The vast, vast, vast 
majority of people do not have that gift of celibacy and and singleness. Some people do, and that is absolutely wonderful. That is a gift to be grateful for. Some of you have been given that gift, even though you did not want it or you did not ask for it. So there are biblical reasons not to be married, but just to reiterate, after you get married, there are very, very, very few biblical reasons not to have children. So once we've established that, how many children are we to have? I think that this is a debate that Christians, genuine, sincere, Bible-believing, God-loving Christians can in good faith debate. There are wonderful Christian parents who have 10 children. There are wonderful Christian parents who have two children. Now, we can get into, and we might actually in this episode, or it might be a question that I answer on another episode, different forms of birth control that are more ethical than others, that are more biblically aligned than others, um, but not even not even talking about that, excluding the what kind of birth control conversation, um, I do believe it is freedom of conscience. And I, and I also think that it's always an examining of the heart. What is the reason that you stopped having children after one? They could be wise and godly reasons. They could be selfish and fleshly and anxiety-ridden reasons. And obviously, I can't see into your heart. And so that is something that you will have to seek through prayer, that you will have to seek through the analysis and uncovering of your own heart and your own motivation, same with that of your spouse, and maybe godly counsel as well. Um, So I can't give you a hard and fast answer on that. I do think that there is freedom of conscience within that. And um, I'm open to discussion and debate on that particular question. Um, Another question that I got, what are some small things that I look forward to doing every day. So small things, I don't know if this is big or small. I mean, it's big in the long run, I guess in the day to day, because it's so routine, it seems small, but I genuinely look forward to um, waking my kids up or I don't wake them up, but I get them out of bed and just like saying good morning and being with them in the morning. I genuinely look forward to that. Of course, at the end of the day, like you're so ready for peace and quiet and to rest and just to be able to actually focus on one task without a million people and a million things pulling your attention in different directions. But by the time the morning comes, you're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to see their faces. I'm ready to talk to them. And so that's something that I look forward to every day. But something smaller than that, it used to be coffee. Like I would just look forward to my morning coffee. I don't think this is good for your metabolism, but I used to wake up and just have like my cup of black coffee and then not eat for like a couple hours. I don't think it's good for you because then by the time you're ready to eat, you like crave all of this unhealthy stuff. Uh, Whatever, you can fight me on that. I'm sure there are some nutritionists out there that would argue with me. But since I've been pregnant, I have not wanted black coffee. Isn't that such a weird aversion? I know that a lot of women, they don't like coffee when they first find out that they're pregnant. But for it to last, it lasted. I mean, as I'm recording this, I'm only halfway through my pregnancy, but it's lasted all the way thus far. Like I was always just a black coffee drinker, black hot coffee. And the thought of that really kind of makes me want to puke. I don't know why, because it's such a like a bitter, nondescript taste. It's weird to think, and there's no texture. It's weird to think that it would bother you. But I've had to drink iced coffee during this. Oh, this, you know what? I'll just lead into another question here. Um, 
Oh, and you know what? Another thing I look forward to, though, and I have looked forward to ever since I got married, just like hanging out, vegging out with my husband at night. I It's harder now because it's later than it used to be because we have so many responsibilities before we, you know, put our kids to bed. And then after that, it's like, okay, we're tired. We're basically ready to go to bed ourselves. But when we do have the time to sit down and to watch a movie together or to watch a show together, like that is such an awesome part of being married. And it's truly my favorite part of being married. And this was especially true when I first got married and was getting used to living with someone and not having to check in with anyone or be accountable to anyone about how I'm spend, how much time I'm spending with him or how we're spending our time. Like you could truly just be there be alone, not think about anything except for what you're doing. And it felt like there was something fun to look forward to every day after work. And honestly, I still feel that way. I just really like hanging out with him at night. So those are some things that I look forward to. Now on the coffee question, because another question that I got for this episode was what's my go-to coffee order? So it used to just be black coffee now. Okay, so sometimes, sometimes, I'm just going to let you know, you might feel betrayed. Sometimes I go through Starbucks. (gasps) I know, I know, communist Starbucks that stands against so much of what we hold dear. But the reason is, and I don't know if this is a good excuse or not, it's the only drive-through coffee place in my area. When we used to live in Athens, Georgia, go dogs, there's Jittery Joe's. And so, I mean, Jittery Joe's probably has similar values to Starbucks, but at least there was an alternative. There was a local alternative. There's really nothing convenient. Now, I typically though, okay, so if I go to Starbucks, it is, um, what's it called? A vanilla cold brew with sweet cream, or is it a cold brew with vanilla sweet cream? I don't, I don't remember what exactly it's called, Um, but it is an iced coffee that I'm sure is not good for you. I mean, it's only 90 calories, but I'm sure there's a bunch of fake stuff in it. That was like my go-to pregnancy drink. But I will say most of the time I am drinking coffee at home. I am making my own coffee, my own iced coffee from the coffee that we have. And I put vanilla almond milk in there. It's and I get my my the vanilla almond milk I use is three trees. That is a recommendation I have to you because one time I posted about just my standard almond milk on Instagram and I don't typically like these messages. No one likes to get these messages of, you know, there's a bunch of fake stuff in that almond milk. There's a bunch of fillers and stuff like that. But you know, even though I was a you know, just a little kind of annoyed by the message. I did take it to heart because I had never really thought about what was in my almond milk. I just thought it was unsweetened and it was unsweetened and it was fine. But then I looked on the back and there was a bunch of fake stuff. And so I found three trees and it's a little more expensive, of course, but it's only almonds and water, right? Just almonds and water. And then It has like vanilla extract if you get the vanilla kind. So anyway, so that's the kind of almond milk I use. And I put that in my coffee, got ice. Um, Sometimes like I'll get a little sassy and put some cinnamon in there. And then I've got a little frother that I use. The only thing that's terrible about it is that it all separates. And I hate that. And you're constantly having to stir it. But that's that's my go-to coffee situation. Okay, quick pause to tell you guys about seven weeks 
Coffee. Their mission is to promote godly values, to provide excellent coffee, and to protect every beating heart. I love this company because I love their coffee. It's really high quality. It tastes great. But also, I love the mission. The reason that they're called Seven Weeks Coffee is because at seven weeks gestation, that baby is the size of a coffee bean, made in the image of God and valuable and worth protecting. So that's why at Seven Weeks Coffee, they donate 10% of every sale to pregnancy centers across the country. They've raised over $200,000 for these life-saving pregnancy centers. They're supporting over 650 centers. That is absolutely amazing. So your coffee can serve a greater purpose. That's why I love 7 Weeks Coffee. Go to 7weekscoffee.com. Use code Allie to save 10% off your order. That's 7weekscoffee.com, code Allie. Okay, Nikki Haley Opinions. Look, I I like Nikki Haley. I like a lot of what she says. I like a lot of what she says. I'm going to leave it at that for now because as it is, I would really like to have her, as of now, I would really like to have her on my show. Um, Maybe by the time you're listening to this and yeah, maybe by the time you're listening to this, she will have already been on my show. Um, but that is the hope. I my One of my goals is to get all of the Republican presidential candidates on my show. If I can get a Democrat presidential candidate, which I think I think I probably could. There's one that I think I could. I would like to get them all on my show. Now, technically, I've already had two. I've already had Trump and I've already had DeSantis. Maybe I can get them again. That would be interesting. Um, but yes, I mean, this is a very enviable audience that I have here. I don't think there's any other political commentator that has majority female audience, 25 to 45. So I got the suburban moms on lockdown here. And so if any candidate wants to appeal to the suburban mom, which is a vote that is always a toss up, then you need to come on relatable and tell us why we should vote for you, especially in the Republican primaries. Most of you out there are going to vote for a Republican for sure, but I bet that a lot of you have not decided who you would vote for in the presidential primary. I can guess who most of you would probably vote for, but I, I bet that you your vote is something to be fought for right now. So hopefully we'll be able to do that on Relatable. Um, let's see. Oh, here's a spicy one. Should abortion doctors get the death penalty? Well, if I'm consistent, I mean, I believe that capital murder deserves the death penalty. I think that's the only just punishment for capital murder that is proven, obviously, in a court of law beyond a reasonable doubt. A lot of people say, how can you trust the government? Um, How can you trust the government to decide who lives or dies? Well, that's not really how our justice system works. Not to say that our justice system is perfect by any means, but you are judged. Your verdict is decided upon by a jury of your peers and you are proven either guilty or not guilty. Um, And so I'm I am totally fine with raising the standard of evidence that is required for the death penalty to for someone to be sentenced to execution. Um, But I do think it is a just punishment for capital murder and um, some other particularly heinous crimes like child rape, for example. Um, And the biblical foundation for this is Genesis 9-6. God actually demands the death penalty. And the reason that he demands the death penalty is a reason that is still true today, that we are made in God's image. That is why God demands the death penalty for murder. It's actually out of compassion, um, out of the 
honor of the dignity of human beings, the unique dignity of human beings that God demands such a serious punishment for taking the life of an image bearer. There are examples in scripture of him showing mercy to murderers like Moses, uh, like David, um, but that does not negate the rule. That doesn't negate Genesis 9-6, and Genesis 9-6 was not negated by Jesus's death and resurrection. It wasn't abolished by Jesus. It wasn't done away with in the New Testament because, again, it's rooted not in Israelite law is actually rooted in the creation ordinance, which of course is still true today. We are still made in God's image. Therefore, capital punishment um, for murder is still just today. So if I believe that babies in the womb are image bearers of God, just as much as any of us are, if I know for a fact that human life starts at conception, that's a scientific fact. And if I believe that human life is made in the image of God, and if someone intentionally murders that human life, I don't see why I would make an exception for abortionists just because we use the euphemism abortionist. I mean, really, they're serial killers. They just have a lot of PR, better PR than most serial killers do today. Um, So consistently, if we're to not be hypocrites, I would say abortion doctors deserve the same punishment as any other murderers do. Um, Let's see, what's my favorite Bible verse and why? It's hard for me to pick one particular verse. I, I always talk about Psalm 37. Psalm 37, one is very comforting to me. I love Psalm 37. I love Psalm 33. I love the whole book of Ephesians. I also love the whole book of Genesis. Genesis is very interesting to me. I think the storytelling in Genesis is masterful. There are so many interesting and even humorous parts of Genesis, interesting parts of Genesis. We learn so much about who God is, what justice looks like, what his righteousness looks like, what his love for his people looks like in Genesis. And I find myself almost every day as I see the craziness in the world going back to Genesis 1 through 3, or yeah, one Genesis 1 through 3, looking at how God intentionally created human beings, looking at the fall, how Satan tempted Adam and Eve and all of that. So um, I would say that those are my go-tos. In college, my friend and I decided to memorize the book of Ephesians. I don't even know exactly why we did it. That's the only book that I've ever memorized all the way through. I tried to memorize Philippians. I don't think I ever got finished with it. Um, But Ephesians is the only book that I've memorized. Now, I will say about memorizing scripture, which I highly recommend. I'm not as good at remembering references, but thankfully by the grace of God and the generosity of my parents, I got a Christian education kindergarten through 12th grade. And that without a doubt laid the foundation for me theologically and biblically. People ask me all the time, how do you recall these verses when you're talking? It's not really anything I can take credit for. It is because of the education that I got kindergarten through 12th grade. And I'm sorry, you can't get that if you don't have a Christian education, even if you have amazing Christian parents. There is a difference between spending 40 hours a week learning the Bible and 40 hours a week learning the opposite of the Bible. It's just, it's going to make a difference. It's going to lay a different foundation. So I, so I will say I, I definitely am for memorizing scripture, but there are some downsides and y'all can help me work this out because I'm like, how can it be possible that there is any downside to memorizing scripture? And 
we should never discourage people from memorizing scripture, right? I love being able to recall all of Ephesians. I, I love that. That's probably why I reference it so much because I know it by heart. And so it just comes to mind. And that benefit outweighs any negative that I'm about to say. But it's really hard for me to sit down and read Ephesians. Like, because I've memorized it, it's like my mind automatically goes on, like, it it goes on cruise control. Like, I can't focus on each word because it's like I'm just, um, like, it's just playing out in my head and I'm already thinking about the next verse. So it's really hard for me to sit down and read Ephesians and take in what I'm reading each word because I have it all memorized. Maybe that's just my weird brain. I'm not really sure. So don't hear that as discouragement. But at the same time, I do think that, I don't know, (laughs) there's maybe something to be said about not having every word of a chapter memorized and really being able to... like not being able to anticipate the next word and really chew on every word that you're reading, if that makes sense. Y'all can let me know what you think about that. Okay, let me tell y'all about Cozy Earth. I love this company so much because I love their products. I love their bedding. We've got their sheets on our bed. We've got the sheets and the bedding on our guest room. They have amazing loungewear. All of their stuff is really high quality, luxury. They're made of bam or they're made out of bamboo viscal, so it's really soft, really breathable. No matter what product they have, it's just the thing that you're going to want to be in, whether you're wearing their loungewear or you're sleeping on their sheets, it's going to become your favorite. They also have something called the Cuddle Blanket. It's a beautiful faux fur, ultra plush pile blanket that literally wraps you in a soft, warm cocoon of pure luxury. This is a perfect gift, by the way, maybe for your mom, mother-in-law. Go to CozyEarth.com, enter promo code RELATABLE, Uh, Check out for 40% off. That's CozyEarth.com. Save 40% off the cuddle blanket now. CozyEarth.com, code RELATABLE. Um, Let's see. How to handle a gay married coworker who's going through the surrogate process and still keep a good working relationship. Um, Do y'all remember that funny moment? Um, at the podium with President Trump. And I think he was making a statement in a press conference. And it must have been that Putin just won his phony election or something like that. And he had this note card that some photojournalist ended up taking a picture of. And it just said in all caps, do not congratulate, do not congratulate. So I would say that as a Christian, you know what you know about the surrogacy process and how exploiting it is of both the uh, woman who's involved, whether it's the person who sold her eggs the person who is allowing her womb to be rented or the child who didn't ask to be ripped away from her biological mother or her gestator. We've talked about the ethical problems with that many times. So knowing what you know about that, that that is um, not a neutral process, that is not an ethical process. It's actually a very wicked and selfish um, process for the person who is doing the 
the buying and the exploiting, and then also your belief about marriage that we see in the first chapter of the Bible, that we don't believe that there is a definition of marriage outside of the marriage between a man and a woman. So you cannot, in good faith, like in alignment with what you believe, congratulate them. That doesn't mean that you can't be kind to them. That doesn't mean that you can't say things like, or ask them questions if you want to, um, or be interested in their lives, or talk to them, or if they show you their wedding plans, or show you a picture of their child, of course, you can say, that's beautiful. Wow, she's adorable. Um, She's so precious. You know, things like that. You can still be involved in their lives, and you can be interested in trying to build that relationship with them and care about the things that they care about. Um, without condoning it, without celebrating it, without congratulating it, and without participating in it. So that's just in general I would what I would say. I don't think that's easy, what I just recommended, um, but I would say to try to stay in alignment with your faith, which is the most important thing, um, and also try to be a, a friend to them, which is much lower in priority than honoring God, um, that that's probably the balance that I would strike. Um, hmm, Should I move where my husband wants to move or prioritize my aging parents? That's really difficult. And I couldn't even begin to know all the variables that exist there. So of course, not knowing your complete circumstance, I can't give you a hard and fast answer. Now, if you're a Christian, you are to submit to your husband. You are to ultimately follow your husband. There can't be a split decision there. Your husband can't move and you stay there to take care of your aging parents. Of course, as your husband is also called to love his wife as he loves himself, just as Christ loves the church. So in a very sacrificial way, he should take all of your concerns into very serious consideration. Um, There should be no real big decision that he makes without uh, considering the interests of the well-being of the priorities of all the different members of his family. But ultimately, he has to follow where God is leading, and you have to follow where God is leading your husband. Um, Jesus makes very clear what marriage is in Matthew 19, 4 through 5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. That leaving and cleaving is something that we see in marriage. Obviously, it is very important to honor your father and mother. If I were you, I would feel the same way. I would say, no, we are staying here. My parents are aging. They're deteriorating. They, I don't know, again, your situation, but I don't have any siblings to take care of them. It's up to us. We really, that's how I would feel. I would say, look, the other opportunities can wait. We've got these limited years with my parents. They really need my help or move your parents with you, whatever it is. But I understand like if that's your priority, that's your desire. That's absolutely what I would want to do too. But obviously you can't force your husband to make a particular decision. You can pray. The prayer of the righteous person has great power. You can pray that the Holy Spirit would lead your husband in a particular direction. You can be very honest with your husband. Um, But ultimately, if you are married, you are one with your spouse and where he goes, you go to. So I don't really, I I don't really think that that's a, a choice. Should I move where my husband wants to move or prioritize my aging parents? Look, if your husband moves, you have to move as hard as that might be. 
Okay, I'm so excited to tell y'all about Brave Books. This is a great alternative to the crazy left-wing ideological books that are out there today. Like if you want to read fun, engaging books for your kids that are also teaching them the values that you believe in, then you should get your books from Brave Books. They have this incredible program. It's a subscription where they send you a new book every month that is teaching your kids a different value. So whether it's the beauty of the gender binary, the importance of kindness and sharing, uh, being made in the image of God, all of these things are being taught through these beautifully illustrated, really creative and fun and engaging Brave Books. I think it's perfect for for kids ages about like five to 10, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older, just depending on your kids. I think that that's probably uh, the sweet spot though. Um, and you can give the gift of this subscription uh, to your kids, give them some books. They will absolutely love it. Go to bravebooks.com, use code Allie to get 20% off your subscription. Bravebooks.com, code Allie for 20% off. Bravebooks.com, code Allie. Okay, will we see our miscarried babies in heaven and know them even five weeks miscarried? So we've talked about this question before. I recommend some resources just because we don't have time to get into all the theology of this, but I recommend some resources by John Piper and John MacArthur. Both John Piper and John MacArthur um, uh, believe that, yes, these babies, whether they are aborted babies, miscarried babies, that they will be in heaven. And they cite lots of biblical evidence for why they believe that. Um, and you will get different answers on that. And it's it's not a it's not a denial of the theological tenet of original sin. Um, but both of them explain very well why understanding the nature of God and some biblical references leads us to believe that these babies will be in heaven. I absolutely think I think so. And I think that you absolutely will recognize them and just understand like no matter how many times you've miscarried maybe you have never brought a baby to term like you are a mother you're a mother you have created life inside of you and whether you miscarried at five weeks whether you had a stillborn baby that you never got to bring home from the hospital whether you had a complication at 20 weeks whatever it is you are a mother to that child. So maybe you have three children here on earth and you have other children that um, tragically died in the womb or coming out of the womb. You are still a mother to those children. So just remember that. I think that God is very gracious and very compassionate uh, towards mothers and fathers who have lost their children. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. There's lots of like birth control and children children type questions. Um, here's a question that doesn't have to do with any of that. Do I think that they do? Do you think that they will ever admit about the Hunter Hunter laptop? So I'm going to just like read between the lines here and guess that you are talking about like, I don't know, they, the intelligence community, Democrats in Congress. I don't think so. Information has already trickled out about it, that it wasn't just this Russian conspiracy theory, which is what the media told us in the beginning, but that, of course, it was legitimate. It was a totally legitimate news story. New York Post, um, remember, they reported on it. They got kicked off Twitter for a long time for reporting on it. This was right before the election. I would call that election interference. And it is completely legitimate. And there are so many questions about Hunter Biden's laptop and the contents there that we have not even begun to ask about or 
begun to discover. Um, so I don't know if they will ever admit anything. Do I think Biden will ever admit anything? No, he is still proudly parading his son around. It's actually it's actually amazing when you think about it. Obviously, there is a different justice system for those kinds of people than there is for the rest of us and certainly Republicans versus Democrats. So I wouldn't I wouldn't hold your breath. I wouldn't hold your breath when it when it comes to that. Good ranchers. That's where we get all of our meat because it's from only American farms and ranches. I love their uh, I love their ground beef. That's probably the product that I use the most because it's so versatile. We love beef in our home, but they also have great better than organic chicken. It's pre-marinated, non-pre-marinated. Their fajita chicken is great for like taco night or something like that. They also have amazing, uh, they have amazing bacon. We have a lot of that. We eat a lot of bacon in our home. We love good ranchers. We love the people that own good ranchers. And so this is, I mean, it's just a win all around. You're supporting this great family, but you're buying high quality meat from American farms and ranches. And you don't have to worry about going to the grocery store, making sure you're picking out the right cut of meat. Most of the time, that meat is not actually from the U.S. It's imported. Who even knows what's in it, especially with the mRNA stuff that's going around being injected into some livestock. You don't have to worry about that. They're totally transparent about all of their American meat. So right now, they've got a Black Friday deal. So when you subscribe, uh, you So when you get that box of meat to your front door every month, you are also getting one box of meat for a year, one free box of meat for a year. So steak, salmon, chicken, bacon. When you subscribe to any box right now, you also get a free year of one of those items that's uh, uh, worth up to $480, which is amazing. So go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie to get $15 off, plus get that Black Friday deal. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. Okay, I'll do one more. Another spicy one. Uh, Birth control recommendations. All right. Depending on the age of your kids and what you've talked to them about, you may or may not want them to listen to this. So birth control recommendations. We've talked about this before. We've done a whole episode on birth control, what birth control pills are, what hormonal birth control pills do. I recommend going back and listening to that episode. We can link it in the description so you can listen to it. Um, And... I think that there is an ethical problem with all hormonal birth control, whether that's an IUD, even if it's a copper IUD, which is not hormonal, and with um, a pill. Because all of it, one, I think it interferes with how your body is supposed to function. Your body is supposed to ovulate. You're supposed to have a period. These things are supposed to happen. When we interfere with that process, that natural process, when we interfere with any kind of natural process, there are probably going to be consequences for some people. There aren't any real seen consequences or major consequences to that. Maybe there's no long-term consequences. I certainly know people who have been on hormonal birth control for a long time and they were able to get pregnant very quickly after they got, got off birth control. Some people are not so fortunate. There are a lot of repercussions, emotional repercussions that come with hormonal birth control, but also physical repercussions, short-term and long-term that come with birth control. That the And one of the big problems with it is that we're not told that. We're not told that when we're prescribed birth control. I was ridiculously prescribed birth control when I was in high school by a doctor who I'm sure assumed that all of her, you know, teenage patients were sexually active and I absolutely wasn't. I think and again, we're kind of getting a little graphic. 
if my if the male members of my family are are watching this uh, or listening to this, you probably just want to turn it off. You probably don't want to hear me talk about this. But I think that I was like, I think my period was like 10 days late or something when I was 17 years old. And she was like, oh, yeah, we definitely need to. We just need to go ahead and put you put you on Yaz, which we now know Yaz is terrible for you. They have like those commercials like where you put on Yaz, you have a right to compensation. I'm like, oh, great. I was put on Yaz when I was a teenager. And because I something totally normal happened to me. I had mono and then I was a little bit late for my period. And then my doctor, who I'm sure just assumed I was lying about my sexual activity or my lack of sexual activity, decided to put me on birth control. And I I stayed on it because I didn't I didn't know any different. I stayed on it until I realized or I just thought about the fact. I think I don't know. it, It was probably seven or so years later Maybe, no, it was probably a little bit less than that, maybe five or six years later that I was like, I don't need this. There's no reason for me to take this. I tried to get off of it a couple times. I started getting acne, which I had never had before. Didn't like that. So I went back on birth control, which is not a good reason. And finally, I was like, you know what? I feel like this is probably just not good for me. I feel like it's also causing me to be really emotional every single month, like really emotional. And that just doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel right. And so I did get off of it. And it did cause acne for a little bit, but it was worth it. It took like three to six months for everything to go back to normal. And I haven't been on hormonal birth control since then. And I didn't even think about the ethical problems with it when it comes to conception, because that wasn't something that I was thinking about at the time. That's not why I was taking birth control. But now I know that birth control can kill a fertilized egg. It can kill a fertilized egg. Not saying that's what happens every month um, if you are sexually active and you are on the pill, but it can. So it can just make your womb inhospitable for that fertilized egg to implant. So rather than it stopping ovulation, sometimes it doesn't stop ovulation. Sometimes it doesn't stop fertilization. Sometimes it just stops implantation. So if we believe, as we do, that life begins at fertilization when sperm meets egg, I mean, that's when unique human DNA comes into play then it is possible for birth control to kill that tiny human being before that human being implants. It's the same thing with an IUD. An IUD simply makes your womb inhospitable for that fertilized egg should it fertilize, which, like I said, could be possibly rare, um, to implant into the uterus. And so there are ethical questions. Does it end a human life? That's something that you really need to consider. I don't think, I know that there are plenty of people who do, I don't think all other forms of birth control are immoral or unethical or sinful. As we already talked about, like the number of children you have, I do believe that depending on your motivations, that's up to freedom of conscience. And so there are a variety of ways that don't, um, that, that don't put in danger or endanger Uh, a human being's life that you can prevent pregnancy or try to prevent pregnancy. Some people have great, um, great fortune. I don't like to say the word luck. Maybe fortune isn't right either. They've had great success, I should say, with natural family planning. 
I think that's totally possible. I think that that is possible for some people. I remember when I first got married, the midwife was like, yeah, natural family planning is family is planning your family naturally. <laughs> like you're going to get pregnant if you do natural family planning. But for some people, it totally works. For some people, it doesn't. You have to find what's right for you as long as, again, you're not crossing those boundaries into sinfulness and into potentially ending um, that human life. And again, assessing your motivations for why you are preventing pregnancy. There are some good reasons to do so and some selfish reasons to do so. Um, All right. I think that's all I have time for today. We will be back here soon. (laughs) 